Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Decided last night for two reasons that I was going to sit during the messages this weekend. Number one is because I'm really tired. Number two is apparently I'm also really old. So... uh, so th- this weekend only, I'm going back to the post-appendicitis routine of sitting here while I preach. Uh, I just returned from my 24th out-of-the-country mission trip, and every time I come back, I'm so thankful to God that I was born in the United States and that I've got to live here all my life for the, at least the next several weeks, I hope for a lot longer than that. Every time I take a hot shower, I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. Every time I brush my teeth in clean water, I'll say, thank you, Jesus, Every time I get in my air-conditioned car, I will say, thank you, Jesus. Every time I do so many things that most of us take for granted, I will say, thank you, Jesus. And on a bigger picture, um, I thank Jesus that all of us in this room have the opportunity to do the kind of work we want to do someday. If we're young, we can go to college or go into the military or get a job and do what we want to do. Uh, We can pretty much eat whatever we want to eat when we want to eat it. Uh, We can serve Jesus or not serve Jesus, whatever we want to do, because we're Americans. And if I had been born in Ruiz, Mexico, or Bantambechi, Cambodia, or pretty much anywhere in Tibet or Haiti, those choices wouldn't be in front of me. In fact, in Haiti, the biggest question that I would be facing today is if I was a husband and a father would be, are my children going to eat today? And I wouldn't be worried about if my family could live according to the style to which I had become accustomed, question a lot of Americans concern ourselves with, but just, are we going to live? Now, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad or guilty or anything like that today. I'm simply showing us as we come to the sort of stretch run of this wise and careful living series, it's the sixth week of seven weeks, and the focus is on Uh, giving thanks, and in fact, the message title is one word, thanks, how much we have for which to be grateful in our lives. And as we consider that the the idea of gratitude, one of the things that, uh, that sets Christians apart from people of all the world religions that I've ever experienced, and also people with no religion, is that attitude of gratitude. Once we come to know that Jesus Christ died on our behalf, and rose from the dead and is, is coming back. And, and he's given us the Holy Spirit while we're waiting for him to come back. The, the only reasonable response to that is gratitude. And one of the things that, that has happened on every mission trip that I've ever been on outside the country, uh, where young people have gone with us, and no exception on this one to Haiti, And by the way, five teenagers went on the trip out of the 15. There were five teenagers. If you're a parent of one of those teenagers, you should be extremely proud of your children. They did an outstanding job of representing Jesus, of representing new life, of uh, getting involved in, in the lives of the, of the Haitian uh, children and young people and adults. And, and oftentimes teenagers have less inhibitions than adults, and we think that that's usually bad, but in this case it was very good because they were willing to go out and interact in ways that some of the adults would not do. So I, I commend you. But mostly when I go to places... Well, I've never been to a place like Haiti. People have been saying, how was your trip? Like I went to the Bahamas. It was a terrible trip. 
That's how it was. You know, um, Haiti is a terrible place. Uh, it, it really is. It's dirty. Uh, the food's disgusting most of the time. I mean, I liked it because I've been other places, but I, I mean, I only ate probably half of the meals. I ate almonds. I took a three-pound container of almonds, and I left like a half a pound for the missionary, and I ate the rest. Um, and, but the point is, these teenagers, and it's happened every time, but they came to me, and they said, Chris, why are these people so happy? They don't have anything. Here's the answer. They have Jesus. The ones who are happy, they have Jesus. And everywhere I've been, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they have or don't have materially. The ones who have Jesus, their lives are different. And, uh, and that's really what we're going to talk about today is this attitude of gratitude that we have because we have Jesus. Our take-home point for today, and for those of you who are first-time guests, we have one point that we seek to make every week. And uh, during this seven-week series called Wise and Careful Living, the take-home point has been similar in that it says the wise do something and the fool, foolish do something else. And so today's take-home point is this. The wise give thanks for everything, and fools complain when life doesn't live up to their hopes and dreams. So let's look at that statement closely. The wise give thanks for everything. And some of you are thinking, everything? Come on, Chris. You can't really be serious that we're supposed to give thanks for everything. I can't give thanks for my job. I mean, I don't get paid nearly what I should, and it's really hard, and, and my boss doesn't understand me. Or, or you might be sitting there saying, well, I would give thanks if I was, you know, if I were handsome, or if I were tall, or if I was, were young again, or or you know, fill in the blank with what would make you happy. And, and then you would give thanks to God. And, and some of you have said, well, well, Chris, you don't understand the suffering I've gone through in my life. I, I can't give thanks for everything. If you knew the suffering I had gone through in my life, you would not be saying that. And I don't know the suffering that some of you have gone through in your lives, and I'm not minimizing that. All I'm saying is that this take-home point comes directly from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. It's biblical that we are to give thanks for everything. And then let's look at the, the second half of that take-home point. Fools complain when life doesn't live up to their hopes and dreams. So why is it foolish to complain when life doesn't live up to our hopes and dreams? Well, we could go back, sort of a little quick review of each of the messages. The first one was called, uh, you know, the one we would say wise care and fool's despair. And we talked about how we have to live in the present, and when we do that, living carefully, um, then our lives are meaningful. But when we despair about the past, and, and another way for despairing about the past, another way of saying that is complaining, right? We are complaining that we married the wrong person or that we got the wrong job or we went to the wrong school or didn't get to go to the right school. And so we're complaining, and fools do that. They despair about the past, and then the second week, we talked about how we could, wise people invest their time, fools, what do fools do? They spend it. And complaining is definitely spending time, because there's no eternal benefit from complaining. And then the third week, we talked about living thoughtfully, that we live thoughtfully if we're wise, and, but fools never, uh, you know, never learn. And one of the things that I've realized is most of the time when we're complaining, it's because we haven't engaged our brains. We haven't thought about it. For instance, let's, for, for example, say somebody says, life's not fair. Okay, spoiler alert, life's not fair. This life is not fair. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, when sin came into the world, life has not been fair. And it's never going to be fair in this life. And in fact, because of sin and the snowball effect of sin, there are people who have been bowled over by the snowball who haven't even been sinning at the time. Sometimes people get hurt 
who are innocent in that situation. Life is not fair. So let's say I interview for a job and a woman interviews for a job and the woman gets the job, so I complain. That's a foolish thing to do, but what if I would say, I wonder why she got the job and I didn't? And so I actually think about it and I say, oh, well she has more skills that they're looking for than I do. Well that's fair, I mean, that's reasonable. And then I say, well, she's a woman and they needed a woman to fill their quota and that's not fair, but that's the way it happens sometimes. And then the next thing is, she's just a really good interviewer and I'm not a good interviewer, so I need to learn to be a better interviewer. And the fourth thing is, her uncle owns the company. So that's not fair, but that's gonna happen sometimes in life. So if we complain about it, we don't learn anything, but what I could learn from that experience is I need more skills and I need to become more effective at interviewing. And then I can move on into the next interview, do a better job, maybe get the job. So then the next week we talked about the Holy Spirit and how we shouldn't get drunk, but we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Complaining is not a fruit of the Spirit. Love, here's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Did you notice complaining is conspicuously absent from the list? And then last week, Pastor Brad did an awesome job, I got to watch the video already, of uh, telling us about how we were created for worship, and, and, and definitely it's impossible to worship God and complain at the same time. So today, we're gonna come, come to the point of understanding that if we are wise, we will give thanks for everything. So, right now we're gonna to turn to Ephesians 5. We've been doing this for six weeks now. Chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. We're gonna focus on verse 20, but we're gonna read the whole passage. And as you listen to this passage, I want you to do something. I want you to see if you were reading each verse where complaining would come into play in each of the verses. So let's listen to God's word. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these words of wisdom, which when lived out in the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to become more and more like Jesus every day. My prayer this morning is simple. Give us gratitude, grateful hearts, the ability to say thank you for all that you are and all that you have done and all that you provide in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So did you see how every verse in that passage moves us away from complaining and toward gratitude? These seven verses are so helpful for living as wise men and women, boys and girls, in a fallen world. Now, I, I don't listen, or I should say, I don't watch Facebook very much. I don't look, whatever you do, read it, I guess. Look at the pictures. I don't do very much of that. But every now and then, I'll get a notification on my email that somebody, you know, talked about me on Facebook. Well, one day, my daughter, Abby, talked about me on Facebook. Well, I'm sort of interested. What did she say, right? So I go to Facebook, and here's what she said. I wish everyone's parents were as adamant as Chris Marshall was at telling his children, life isn't fair, so deal with it. Huh. 
So I didn't realize I had been adamant about teaching my children that life isn't fair, so deal with it. All I did was every time they told me that something wasn't fair, I would just say this, life's not fair. I shall never be king, and you, you shall never see the light of another day. Now, if you watch any movies at all in your lifetime with kids, you've watched The Lion King, and you know that Scar, who unfortunately, because of birth order, didn't get to be king. Wasn't fair. And so apparently my children learned that life isn't fair and they knew that if they complained about that, they would not get any sympathy from daddy about that. Now, they have received a lot of sympathy about many other things in their life, but not complaining about life not being fair. The unfortunate uh, added result of that teaching is that when I complain and my children are around, they say, life's not fair. Be careful what you teach your children because they may actually learn it. Okay, so let's turn to Ephesians 5.20. We're gonna look at it in three translations as we've done each of the messages that I've preached in the series. We're gonna look at the NLT, which we already read, the ESV, the English Standard Version, and the MOT, my translation from the original Greek text. So here it, here it goes. And give thanks. Now all of you saw that picture earlier with me standing there in my little robe with my little red hood on and everything. You probably actually believe that I understand Greek now, right? Okay, so anyway. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the NLT. The ESV, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the MOT, giving thanks always for all things in the, the is understood, name of the Lord of us, Jesus Christ, to God even the Father. So as we see, the differences in these three translations are really word order. Because this is one verse, there's no doubt what Paul was trying to tell us. He was trying to tell us that, in, that we are always to give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The big question is how? How do we do that? How do we always give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the million dollar question. Most verses, it comes down to this. We don't disagree with the verse, we just wanna know how can I do that in my everyday life? Here, it's simple in this one. This verse is so simple to apply in your everyday life, you just need to remember this. I just need to remember this. What do we deserve? What do we deserve in life? Because when we think that we deserve something we didn't get, then we will be complaining about that. But if we understand, here's what we deserve. We deserve to die one day and to be separated from God forever. If I were preaching 75 years ago in America, I would be standing up pointing my finger at you, which I'm not gonna do, and telling you that you're all gonna burn in hell like the worms you are. Well, they were right. that They were actually pretty much quoting scripture when they said that. But the point is, once I understand what I deserve, then I realize how thankful I ought to be that I don't get what I deserve. You see, Jesus, the son of the living God, saw us here, separated from him, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by our sin. We had chosen to walk away from God, and if that was the way it was, really there wouldn't be much to give thanks to for any reason, because if this life, the way it is, you know, this is it, this is all we get, and then we die and go to hell, there's no reason to say thank you. But God said, no, I'm not gonna let that stand. And so Jesus, we're told in Philippians 2, 
He emptied himself of omnipotence and omnipresence and all these omni things, and he became flesh and blood like you and, and, and me. He became flesh and blood, a baby. He grew up. We all know what happened. He grew up. He lived a perfect life. They arrested him, and they crucified him for our sins. They didn't know that's why they were crucifying him, that that's why. Jesus knew that's why. He died to make our lives right with God. And as he died, as he was being, the nails were being driven into his wrist, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that's what redemption is, when somebody else pays the penalty for what we deserved. So if we really wanna be grateful for everything, then all we have to do is remember what we deserve. And once we know what we deserve, hell, separation from God, and we see what we get, there's only one reasonable response. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You say, well, Pastor Chris, we all, knew, we all know that. Well, probably all of us do know that until something happens and life doesn't live up to our hopes and dreams. Do we, and we don't get what we want, and some of us even go so as far as, I've heard this, I've heard this hundreds, maybe thousands of times in my life, I, I didn't get what I deserved. You know, I, I just didn't get what I deserved. And, and when I hear that, what, what happens is I start to ask this question, do we deserve to have clean water? Do we deserve to sit in an air-conditioned room? Do, do we deserve to be able to go to college? Do we deserve any of that? The short answer is no, we don't. And so if I deserve death and I get life, thank you. If I deserve, you know, sin and muck and mire and I get a loving wife, beautiful children, all the food I want, clothes to wear, and the reason I have long sleeve shirts on today is because I didn't want to gross you out with my arms. I got bit up a little bit while I was in Haiti. It happens if you're there, okay? But I, I at least had a long sleeve shirt to put on so you didn't have to be grossed out by my arms. Thank you, Jesus, because what I have. See how it works? So it's easy to complain. It's very easy to complain when we live with a sense of entitlement. And in Americans, by and large, we live with a sense of entitlement unless one of three things has happened. One is we were born and lived during the Great Depression. My dad did. He was born in the 20s. He was 13 when the Great Depression hit. He had to quit school. He had to go to work in a potato field. He worked in the potato field 12 hours a day. And as he always told me, he got paid 50 cents a day. And he was glad for the 50 cents. And every time I heard that story from the time I was a little kid until I was an adult, I went, 50 cents. No way I'm going to be thankful for 50 cents until you don't have 50 cents. Then you become thankful for it. And I realized my dad went through a, a world that I have no clue what it's like. And, and then there are some of you in this room, maybe, who have lived at extreme poverty right here in the United States, and you know what it's like not to have what you need, let alone what you want. And so you might have a glimpse of what we're talking about here, of not having a sense of entitlement. Or if you've been to a third world country, and I've only, I've only been to, to um, well, I've been in, to 10 countries outside the US. I've only really been in seven of them um, for any period of time. And, and what I realize every time I go to one of those places is I don't get it. I, I invested a lot of my week with uh, six young men. They're 14 to 20 years old. They were translators for us while we were there. My translator that I had all week was 16. 
And these young men are the finest that Haiti has to offer. They, they know English. They speak English very well. Um, they know Jesus. And I ask them, I ask each of them, what are your aspirations? What are your, what are your plans for the future? And uh, they actually have one that matters. And so I invested my time in their lives. And every time I would say something, they would ask me a question. You know, I'd say, well, I don't, I don't really understand your situation because, you know, I'm only going to be here for nine days and then I'm going back to America. But, but I understand. And, and I could tell them about biblical things, but I couldn't tell them about, you know, I couldn't tell them about the, the stuff. I, I don't understand that. And I got to teach um, church leaders for two days and they would say, well, how should we do this? <laughs> I don't know. Because back home, we'd run a video. I don't know, because back home, we would just hand out a, a handout. Back home, we, we would just go on a field trip. Back home, and, and none of those are options. You know, so I, I don't know how you do ministry in Haiti. Um, I've only been there nine days, and so when you say, what's Haiti like? My experience, it's a poor, poor, poor place from a physical standpoint, but the, these young men, honest to God, they're, they're some of the most amazing young men I've met in my life anywhere. The one in particular, I wanted to bring him back. I, I mean, he's, he's 20 years old. His mother left for the Bahamas when he was eight months old. So he said that meant I was raised by my dad, which really meant my dad had to work, which meant I was raised by my sisters, who were two and three at the time, which really meant I raised myself. And when I was, he didn't say the exact age, but I think it was when he was about 14 or 15. He said he was desperate. He just, he didn't see any future. And so he decided he was going to take his own life. And he wrote a note and uh, he put it under the mattress in his bed. And he decided he would go off to a place where nobody could find him because if he didn't die right away, he wanted to make sure nobody would take him to the hospital and he would survive. Now in his note, he didn't say where he was going. And then he said, Pastor Chris, there was some divine intervention, I, I believe. Because my sister came home and she found the note under my mattress. And, and she read it and she, she figured out where I was going to go and she got there before I did. And he didn't write where he was going. And so when she, he got there to kill himself, she was there. And she said, this isn't what God wants for your life. And, and he realized that God had a plan for his life. And so he came back, and now, you know, these last number of years, he's been working towards that plan. And the young man is going to get a degree in theology, sociology, a business administration. And he said, I don't exactly know what God has for me, but I know he wants me to make a difference in my own nation for him. And, and when I heard... and. You know, I asked him about, he said, he told me on Monday or Tuesday that he liked my sermon on the weekend. I preached on Sunday, and I said, well, tell me, what'd you like about it? And he, he told me everything about my sermon, everything I had preached. He analyzed it, told me where this came from in Scripture and how he would, you know, add something more. He's 20 years old. So what's the point of all that? The point of all of that is that he doesn't have a sense of entitlement. And he knows if he's going to have an education, it's going to be difficult. And he knows that if he's ever going to make a difference in his own nation, it's going to be an uphill battle the whole way. And he's going to do it. And I have no doubt that God is going to be with him every step of the way. Now, here we are in America, and we say, well, you know, I deserve, I deserve an education. Don't we think we deserve an education? Most Americans, I've heard, I've had people say, you know, my teachers are, 
My teacher is supposed to teach me. It's their job to teach me. No, it isn't. Well, that's what they're getting paid for. It's your job to learn. From kindergarten on, we taught our children that it was their job to learn. And we told them one day school's gonna end, but learning never will. And one of the things that I didn't have any clue about when Abby and Emmy were little kids was that one day they would be able to turn on their phones and they would be able to get anything, any information about anything at any instant. So they truly can learn for the rest of their lives. But the question is, whose fault is it if you flunk a test? It's yours. Now, unless you have dyslexia or you can't read or something like that, then, then you need help. And, and, and the funny thing is most people who have those challenges work really hard. People like me who got it real easy, we didn't. Entitlement destroys initiative. Entitlement destroys gratitude. Because when I think I deserve what I deserve in every area of my life, for example, let's move one more. Okay, what are you gonna have for lunch today? You know, you're going to go home. Somebody's going to say, what's for lunch? And I know what the American answer to that question is. What do you have? What do you have? And then you'll get two or three or four or five different possibilities, and you'll say, I don't want that. Let's go out. <laughs> Am I talking where anybody lives? <laughs> but in Haiti, you always have two choices of what to eat. Take it or leave it. And I was, I mean, I've been in a lot of places, like I said, you know, and everywhere I've gone, there's always been more than I wanted to eat. Mostly I didn't want to eat it in the first place, but there was more than I wanted to eat, but not in Haiti. There was one plate, and that was it. I mean, they had a cinnamon roll the first day. That was sort of the teaser, because it was good. <laughs> you know, but there wasn't anything else. And then for lunch, I don't know, we probably had rice and beans or beans and rice, I'm not sure. And, uh, and then there wasn't anything else. And then for dinner, we had a chicken leg, and they only have chicken legs. I don't know where the, I mean, they have funny chickens in Haiti. It's always legs. Did you notice that? It's always legs. Okay, so we had a chicken leg and some coleslaw, I guess I would call it, and uh, something I couldn't tell what it was. It tastes pretty good, though. Um, and then whenever I thought, oh, I'll have some more of that. Oh, I guess I won't. You see, we think we're entitled to seconds and thirds and however many. What gave us that idea? And then I know what you're thinking. Well, if they just worked harder, if they just worked harder, what if they were born in America? They would have your job or mine because they're working as hard as they possibly can right now. You see, it's a matter of where they were born. It's not a matter of their initiative. Now, I'm sure there's lazy people in Haiti just like there are lazy people in America. But my experience, short as it was, was that these folks want to be useful. They want to do something, and there's nothing to do. So, we could move on to cars, and, and we could move on to houses, and we could move on to all these different things that we all think we deserve here in America. And some of you remember, Last year, maybe you were here when I came back from Cuba and I was telling this story about how I had my iPad last year and I had a picture of my house and there was, there were, the garage door was open. I had two cars in the garage, one car uh, out in the driveway and this, this uh, Cuban pastor says to me, you have three cars. And what did I say? Well, one's a 2008, one's a 2001, one's a 1997, it's when I drive. And he looked at me and he said, well, I'll trade you my bicycle for your 1997. You see, it says 
and give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop for a moment and think about this. What if you and I lived in a nation where we were never gonna make more than 20 bucks a month? We are always gonna be a little bit hungry and we were never going to have a drink of clean water in our lives. How would you feel in that situation if you were a follower of Jesus? We know the answer, grateful. Always give thanks for everything. And, and actually, everywhere I've ever been, where there are people who believe in Jesus who don't have any of the stuff we have, there's gratitude. They're grateful for what they do have. And yes, do they want more? Would they come to America if they could? You better believe they would. Would it be a good thing for them? I'm not sure. I really don't know. And notice it says, we aren't just supposed to give thanks in general, like thanks. We're supposed to give thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul wanted us to understand something. We have so many blessings, whatever we have, if we have Jesus, we have so many blessings. And so we're not just supposed to say thanks, we're supposed to say God the Father, thank you. And we thank you in the name of your son Jesus because if it wasn't for your son Jesus, we wouldn't know about you. We wouldn't know you fully. We wouldn't know about salvation. We wouldn't know about the life that is truly life if it wasn't for you. So when we think about the iced tea that we drink today, guess what? We didn't have ice for a whole week. When I got on the plane, you know, I had a little whatever it was, cranberry juice. And I drank it, and it was sitting there. The ice was still there. And the stewardess came along uh, and tried to take it away. I almost broke her arm. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I want that ice, you know? And, and, and all of these things we, we take for granted when we say thank you. We're not just supposed to say thank you. We're supposed to say thank you, God the Father, in the name of your son Jesus who gave me salvation. And we could add in the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us the ability to do stuff we could never do. Now, if we know all of this, then why do we still complain so much? Because the devil is good at deceit. The devil is very good at deceit. Remember we talked a few weeks back about the difference between being dishonest and being deceitful? Dishonest is when I lie to you and you know I'm lying to you. But deceit is when I'm lying to you but it sort of sounds true. And the devil packages up his lies in ways that it sounds true. Now, listen very carefully, because you might assume from what I'm about to say that I think the devil writes commercials. Because here's what happens. I turn on the TV, and I look, and there's a commercial for a new car. And the new car, if I get that new car, I will be a successful person. Here's the deceit. A successful person comes from knowing Jesus Christ. doesn't have anything to do with what car you have. And then I turn on another commercial and it tells me, I will have all the girls I want if I just drink this beer. To be honest with you, I already have all the girls I want. One wife and two daughters. You know? And I'm so grateful for that. The thing is, I'm not saying the devil writes commercials. What I'm saying is, next time you turn on the TV and look at a commercial, I want you to just ask this simple question. What is this commercial telling me about me and about what I need. Because it's gonna tell you that you need a whole bunch of stuff and I, I need a whole bunch of stuff that we don't need. And if commercials weren't on television, we wouldn't buy the stuff we don't need and I guess the economy would go like this unless maybe we figured out a different thing to do. 
with the stuff that we don't need that somebody else might need. You know, okay, anyway, I'm not telling you to stop watching commercials. Well, that would probably be a good idea. But the next time you watch it, just give thanks for what you do have and ask yourself if you really need something new. Because, I mean, sometimes we need a new pair of pants. Sometimes we need a car. I would not say we ever need a new one, but that's just my opinion. Okay, so let's look at today's commitment. I will give thanks for everything this week. So what's it going to take for you and me to do that? Well, it really doesn't take much. If I'm going to give thanks and you're going to give thanks for everything this week, all it takes is for us to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and to remember, to remember that that and nothing else is everything. If we just had Jesus Christ and his salvation and nothing else, that would be everything. Everything else is a bonus. I had a chance to do probably, I think, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life on Thursday. When I got there last, I don't know what day it was, it doesn't matter, one of those days we were there, the head of the place, Caitlin, she schedules everything. She had Jim Lilly and I sit down and uh, talk about what the week was, and I was gonna preach on Sunday, and on Monday I was gonna, and Tuesday I was gonna teach um, pastor and his elders uh, for a half a day, and then she said, on Thursday, we go to the federal prison in port pay Would you like to go to the federal prison and preach the gospel? <laughs> yes, I would. Now, I wasn't listening carefully when she told me what was gonna happen. We were gonna take a tap-tap, which is a pickup truck with boards on the, around the backside, and you sit on it, it's not very comfortable. But anyway, we are gonna take that for like an hour and 15 minutes. It would be like driving from here to Butler, but it took like an hour and 15 minutes. And then um, we were gonna go to, there were eight cells, we were told there were eight cells, and I heard, but it wasn't right, that in each of those cells there would be one prisoner, and that they would come forward, and we would have to talk really loud, and, and I had Ralph, my 16-year-old translator with me, and we would preach the gospel in that situation. And uh, when we got to the prison, there were actually 50 prisoners in each cell. There were 400 prisoners in eight cells. And uh, uh, there were, I don't know how many groups were there this week, but there were 109 of us, and there were only 15 from New Life. And out of all the groups, two people from the groups went to preach in the prison, Mark Lutz and me. If you don't know Mark Lutz, he's our student ministry director. And when I went in there, uh, they, they line you up in the prison according to your age and how long you're gonna be in there. And if you've been convicted or not, because if you haven't been convicted, you've just been accused, you're in there until they feel like giving you a trial. And if you're in there for five years and then they put you on trial and they convict you and you get five years, you get to serve five more years. And oh, by the way, if you commit a crime and you run away, they'll just arrest your wife and put her in jail in your place. And she'll stay there until she's served your term. And if you commit more crimes while she's in there, they just add to her term. But anyway, they said, Chris, you're gonna get to preach to the old people. Talk about profiling, huh? <laughs> and Mark, you'll get to preach to the young people. And we'll just work our way around until we meet. And, and we'll preach to all the eight different cells. And, and actually, as it turned out, I, I never did find out. How many cells did you preach at, Mark? Four. Four. Okay, he preached at four. I preached at two, which is only six. But there was some, some staff people that preached at the other two. So we shared the gospel. And, and I looked in there, and there were 50 guys. And some of them were my age. Most of them were younger than me, because most people are younger than me. But anyway. Um, I, I asked first off, you know, I said who I was. You know, I'm pastor from America. I'm here to preach the gospel. 
How many of you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And 15 people raised their hand. And I said, oh, great, you're my brothers. And then I, I, I shared from Luke chapter four, which is like Jesus' mission statement, to preach you know, freedom for the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and, uh, and healing for the oppressed. And then I said, you might be in here the rest of your life, but if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you're gonna be freer than a lot of Americans who are living in big mansions who don't know Jesus. Because freedom, at the end of it, is not about where you are. It's about who you know. And I said, people will tell you there are all kinds of people. You know, there's the noir, the black and the blanc, the white. There are the rich and the poor, the old and the young. There are only two kinds of people, those who know Jesus and those who don't. And uh, there were two men in that cell who, they had nothing coming back. I mean, they were, they're gone. And there were 15 who were my brothers, which leaves about 33 who were undecided. And so I preached to them. And at the end of my message, guess what the first question they asked me was? When are you coming back? You see, they want to know if I really, really, really believe what I say I believe. They want to know, am I coming back or is this just a one-time thing? You know, you come and you let off your gospel and then you go back to America and live in your air conditioning. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't know how to answer that question. Because with all of my heart, I don't want to go back. But I, I don't really listen to me that much anymore. And so here's what I said. I believe that God is, has already told me to go to Cuba next year. And I, I, for some reason, believe he wants me to go back to Cambodia next year. If I can make three trips next year, I will come back next year. If I cannot, I will come back in 2015, if the Lord wills. I mean, I might not be here. Jesus might come back. There's all these extenuating things. But given the opportunity, I will be back, and I will preach the gospel again to you. And after that, they were willing to listen more. You see, I'm not even trying to get everybody to go to Haiti. All I'm trying to do here is to say there were 15 men in a prison in Haiti that smelled so stinking bad that a lot of you would faint if you just walked into the building who know Jesus. And they had smiles on their faces. Smiles on their faces. And they might be there till they die because they're free. And if you don't have that freedom in your life today, with all the stuff you have, you can. So, all you have to do is, number one, trust Jesus. Say, that's my ringtone, but that's not my phone. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I've lived my life my way for however long, and it's not working. I want you to be in charge. I want you to be my Lord, which means master, owner. I want you to be my Savior, which means I get to have salvation from sin and death and, and save to live a, a life of meaning and purpose. And I pray with all my heart that you'll do that. If you've already done that, then the, the, then the next thing is to remember, Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for sending Jesus and that Jesus plus nothing is everything everywhere in the world. God, I pray for the folks in Haiti today who don't know you and the folks in this room who don't know you and the folks everywhere who don't know you because you died so they could. And I pray, God, that you would give them right now an urgency to trust you and anybody in this room that they would just say yes to you. And for the rest of us, God, who already have trusted you, I, I, I simply pray that we'd remember what you have given us when you gave us salvation, when you gave us Jesus, and to just be thankful for everything in addition to that, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. God, I thank you so much that my life has meaning and purpose, and I thank you for 30 years, 30 years of serving you as an ordained pastor, and for 20, well, I guess 15 years before that of serving you without being ordained, and God, I, I promise you this. Give me 30 more years, and I will use it to, for you. God, I pray for everybody in this room that you'll give us time to reach the lost and to disciple those who are found. God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.